Hello, my dear listener, and welcome to Is This It? I'm your host, Dana Grinberga, and I'm here to have meaningful conversations with talented and purpose-driven people to discover what mindset allowed them to overcome their greatest challenges and achieve success and share it with you so you can do the same. On today's episode, Isabel Vandenbroek, decluttering specialist, environmentalist, and ex-competitive swimmer. And slowly I started to pass them because I just went to practice every day and I gave it my all because I loved it. And there were other people who loved racing more, they loved certain aspects of swimming more, and I found that just loving that process and the journey in the end was kind of got me to wherever I got to. I think this process of decluttering and organizing is really about coming to who you are today and now and what are the things you need around you right now to do the things that you do. Isabel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Tell me, what is your purpose? Wow, I love that your podcast just dives straight in. Straight into the point. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful question to be able to reflect on, frankly. And for me, it's been a little bit of a moving target. And I wonder, is it helpful to kind of level set on what purpose means maybe? There's probably so many different definitions. Yes, this is a, such a good point that you're making. I think a lot of people have different definitions of what purpose is. And I've discovered this also from different guests by interviewing them in this podcast. So I don't think we should really put ourselves in a box when we define that. So I think it's good to leave that freedom for everyone to say what it is for them. But it's important to actually reflect on it. What does that mean to you? And not get caught up in the definitions of other people. So for me, what purpose means is the reason why you exist. It's almost like if you don't do it or if you don't go that direction, then there's going to be something missing throughout your life. That's my definition of it. And big reason why I actually created this podcast is because I want people to actually put awareness on this and actually think about this topic because I think the quality of your life just improves drastically when you actually move with such intentionality and you know why you do the things you do and you know where you're going. There's just such a difference. That's that for me. No, I think that's wonderful. It's such a great definition. And I guess for me, what's most important is maybe you don't have your purpose yet. Maybe you haven't discovered it, but it's about trying to figure it out. And even if maybe you never do or just that journey of being really purposeful and intentional about trying to find it. I think that's what's important. But like I said, I think maybe for me, it's a little bit of a moving target. And I think that's probably normal too. I think when you imagine someone's purpose, you think of the classical like calling, right? Like what someone's calling and you imagine like a doctor who just lives for treating his patients or, but you can also be a parent and really your purpose is raising your children, but then your children are gone one day, you know, they leave the house. So do you need to find a new purpose? So that's why I think I embrace the kind of moving target of what my purpose is. But what I've settled on lately is actually not the what, but rather the how is that I want to be a breath of fresh air for someone else. Sometimes when I'm in a meeting or when I'm working with a client, I know we'll talk about my business later, but it's like, how can I be a breath of fresh air for this person? And I really just connected with that analogy that how can I deliver that to someone else? And that's really helped me. Even when I'm catching up with friends, like how can I be a breath of fresh air for this person? And that's really helped to center myself and really explain to myself, like, why am I here? What am I doing? It's so that I can be that for someone. 
Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense because if you focus on something that's very tangible and very precise, I wouldn't say materialistic, but something very defined, mm. then you almost constrict yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Whereas if you focus on the way you are, then that leaves a lot more space. And how did you settle on that? How did you get there? Mm. I think sometimes things just come to you, right? And that's a beautiful thing. But in my case, it was very deliberate. It was very intentional. I worked with a career coach and we did a number of things. She had all these different pillars. But one of them was coming up with a mantra. So we worked on it and we workshopped it. And I tried to find the right words and the right analogy to express how I want to leave someone else when I'm with them. And we settled on that one. And I think it also has to do with the fact that I moved around a lot. I know we'll come on to that eventually, but I kind of was very much like a breath of fresh air I thought and wanted to be when I met new people because I was literally coming from a different place and I was bringing different ideas and different experiences a different perspective so I just wanted to be able to express that in a really easy way to really give myself meaning depending on what I'm doing that's so so nice <laughs> <laughs> and in a way that also reminds me and resonates with me on a level that ultimately if I had to describe my purpose it's to uplift inspire and illuminate people around me so be it with knowledge be it with a smile be it with an advice or a hug mm. or an encouragement or coaching and ultimately hopefully this podcast as well so I really do resonate with the thought of it being how you are with other people how you show up in the world yes exactly I think you're doing that thank you <laughs> so Isabel if I look at some of your passions swimming definitely stands out so you are an AIDA2 certified free diver, mm -hmm. swimming instructor and competitive swimming coach. Uh, you've also won two gold and three bronze medals whilst being on Mexican national swim team mm. and were in NCAA Division One Columbia Women's Varsity team competing in US Open and being a university record holder and Ivy League six-time medalist. Wow, <laughs> I, I literally had <laughs> very gosh. impressive. So could you tell me what mindset did you have to have to be able to achieve those accolades? Yeah, it's interesting to reflect on it. I feel like it was such a long time ago. So I stopped competitive swimming 10 years ago and I only just started again, which has been very humbling. That's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice to reconnect with the sport and just do it for completely different reasons and in a really different way. But I think actually what helped me back then and even a bit now, but I'm not as competitive. I'm not trying to achieve much. But now that I look back, I see what I had was I really enjoyed the process. I really loved the journey. I, I'm not a very competitive person, so I didn't actually love racing. I think that for me, I got into swimming and I loved it. And then it was sort of like, well, if you want to keep doing it, you have to race. You have to compete. There wasn't like an option to just swim laps. And then, you know, that's that. And a part of me liked to compete against myself. But I think what made me reach whatever those achievements are is just really, I loved going to practice. And so I think there were people who are more naturally talented than me. And slowly I started to pass them because I just went to practice every day and I gave it my all because I loved it. And there were other people who loved racing more. They loved certain aspects of swimming more. And I, I found that just loving that process and the journey in the end was kind of got me to where wherever I got to. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that it circulates so much, right? Focus on the journey, not the destination. Yeah. But you're a real life example of how that brings real life results. Focusing not on the goal that you want to achieve, but the actual process of getting there. Mm -hmm. That's so valuable. And I think we need more reminders of that. Yeah, and it was so easy, you know, it was really fun. I didn't even realize that's what I was doing until now when I'm not doing that in other parts of my life. And then I think back like, well, why did I get to where I did then? So it's a good reminder for sure. If we learn to love the process, 
and detached from the goal, it's almost guaranteed that we're getting such better results than if we do it the other way around. So definitely. So that was a big part of your mindset that helped you. Can you share a moment in your life that was so challenging and so hard for you that you thought there's no way out for me? And how did you get out of there? Well, it was definitely a time when I wasn't focused on the process. I was more focused on the outcome. So definitely can be related. But this was a number of years ago and I had moved somewhere for a job, an outcome, if you will. And it was kind of like a number of things collapsed in one go. I was in a new place, a new job. I didn't really have any family or friends there. I didn't speak the language. So it was really like an uphill battle to kind of figure this place out and just to be happy there. And so I think I really did fall into a place where I was a bit sad and lonely and I didn't really connect to my purpose and why I was there and what was going on. And at that point I had moved so much by the time that I got there that I was just tired. I was just tired of starting over again and trying to like make it work. That had been like my MO was just suck it up, try harder. <laughs> and it just wasn't working anymore. So I, I just felt like I was in a place that I didn't, I didn't know how to get out of. But what really helped me was just realizing that I didn't need to push through anymore. Mm. You know, it was just like- It's I okay could, to mm -hmm. not be okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And to like kind of almost like give up in a way, like in just a manner of speaking, because I could have just tried to stay there and just tried to find more friends and do better at work and what have you. But really the thing that saved me was just being like, you know what, there's somewhere else for me. And that is a place that has family, that has friends, where I can build like a life in an easier way for myself. And so it wasn't until I just kind of realized like I don't have to keep pushing. I can really just pull the emergency escape hatch and like <laughs> and do something that's like a bit easier and give myself permission to do that. That really reminds me actually a time in my life where I had a similar situation. I had moved to Moscow for a job mm. and I already had a, an opinion that I probably wouldn't like it. Mm. But rather than not trying at all, I said, well, let me just confirm my doubts rather than regret not actually trying. So I, I did go and then very quickly it became clear to me that's not the place for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. You realize, you know, know right? You know, yeah. you just know. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I was faced with that dilemma. Okay, do I stay for the money, for the benefits, for potential career growth? Or do I, you know, pack my bags and uh, just pivot? Because mm -hmm. I wouldn't even say that it's like failing. You yeah. just realizing that this was not essentially for you yeah and mm -hmm. i think there's great power in that and people should really allow themselves this space for changing their mind and it is okay i think there's instances in which you yes you know you put down your head and you just go but in these circumstances it's better to realize early on <laughs> that maybe that's not the the thing for you i think it's good to cut your losses sometimes yes. and it's how long did you stay I mean, it was like about a year. It was actually between two countries, but they were really border of one and then the other. So it was about a year in total, but five months in the last place, the last city. And I was like, it's time to go. <laughs> it's okay. Sunken cost fallacy, you know, like just good to just move on sometimes and, and connect with yourself and trust yourself that that's the right thing for you. So you've lived in 10 countries mm. altogether. Yeah, that's, that's quite a lot. <laughs> what have you learned from all this traveling from all these different countries, from changing so many places mm -hmm. that you've lived in? I think I learned it's easier to not do that. <laughs> it's definitely a lot. Some of that was when I was growing up with my family. And then there were a lot of those countries later by myself trying to be independent and doing my thing. I think what I learned is that you really can make friends anywhere. That was a beautiful thing that I realized is no matter what country you're in, there's always going to be like, I always had a best friend everywhere that I was, which was so cool and all different cultures and backgrounds and sometimes spanning languages as well. So 
I'm so glad I did it. I really learned a lot from meeting different people, different ideas, different perspectives. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, I try to bring that into my life. But I think I, I did reach a certain point where I was like, okay, sometimes it's good to just plant your flag somewhere. I no. think it comes with age, right? Yeah. There's just that moment where you're like, okay, well, but where is my home? Actually? Yeah. And you have to make your home, right? You have to plant your flag and you have to say, look, there are pros and cons about this place, but I'm going to make it work. And I think there's something really nice about growing a community as well. And that was really hard for me too, when you're chopping and changing so much was just really growing that community and, and that support system around you and how important that is. And that's something that for me was always changing, always shifting. And that was really interesting. I learned so much from that, but there's really a lot to be said about just having some stability. I couldn't agree more. And I'm from Latvia originally, but I also live in Italy for almost six years, briefly in Moscow. And then of course here, and it's hard not having your best friends, people that you've known and laughed and shared moments with for six years. You're leaving a part of yourself behind. And also even here having some very few British friends. They're right. <laughs> <laughs> I can see how they have these groups of their friends that they've known since childhood and they're still around and they can do things together. And I'm just there and like, ah. Oh, lucky you guys you know yeah no it is really beautiful when people have and it's a really different mindset when you're trying to make new friends as an adult it's harder in a way it is you know people are busy yeah people are busy they might already have their groups of friends so you really have to go out of your way to find people who are also looking for new friends but i guess it's less quantity but more quality absolutely when you're an adult you're very mm -hmm. intentional you know how precious your time is so you know what sort of friends you want what mm -hmm. sort of people you like what are your values hopefully mm -hmm. so you kind of learn to navigate that so the ones that you acquire in adulthood i think they're to stay yeah definitely and it is you know what works for you already you know very quickly i think mm -hmm. when you meet someone mm -hmm. so what in your opinion does make place a home well, I think it is like that community that we spoke of and those friends, right? It doesn't have to be that many. Like I always think like, I just need three friends <laughs> and that's enough for me. But yeah, I think it is really just, you know, immersing in the local culture, embracing it, the language and finding hobbies that you like to do with other people, making friends. Just it's really the little things I find, like your coffee shop, like this place you really like to go to. For me, that's always kind of what's made it like home. It's very, very true. I keep moving in London. I keep trying different oh, areas. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't even get that within the UK, but yeah. soon I will find it. Yeah, my you'll spot. land on it. I do love London. Great base, I think. It is. Yeah. So you have a decluttering and organizing business mm -hmm. where you help people optimize and clear up their space, both physical and virtual. Tell me, how did that come about? I've always been a super organized person. Like I found lists from when I was 10 years old of like what to pack for a swim meet. And I've just always really been into being very organized and it's come very naturally to me. And I think it's helped me a lot in my life. So I had kind of always been organizing for family and friends just to like help them out a bit. And then one day I sort of realized that actually there are people out there who don't have someone like me in, in their circle who can help them do this. And people really need help on this. So I thought I want to reach more people. I really want to be able to help people who don't know how to do this, who don't know how to do this naturally. And so I decided to create a business so I can reach more people. You know, when I first, hey guys, I have a very exciting announcement to make. I've started working with my very first sponsor and it's none other than, drumroll, Momo Kombucha. Our own London-based, locally produced, healthy and delicious kombucha that I've been a fan of since I first tried it. For those of you who know me, you know that I'm obsessed with my health, but at the same time, I'm a devout foodie and nothing will make me renounce tasty food and drink. 
Unfortunately, most delicious drinks are full of sugar and other additives that are not good for your health. This is why I love Momo so much. It's delicious, so it curbs my cravings for snacks and healthy as it contains loads of probiotics that are great for your gut. If you'd like to try it yourself, use the discount code ISTHISIT15 to get a 15% off of your first order learned about you and the business that you have and you told me your story an immediate flashback from my childhood came about latvia is obviously a post-soviet union country Mm -hmm. so things were scarce there were no things i grew up in an environment where a lot of my family members are unintentional hoarders and also to the extreme so i remember actually really suffering from that because i like super organized Mm -hmm. tidy open clean spaces whereas it would be literally clutter Mm -hmm. like 50 versions of this 50 versions of that nothing could ever be thrown out because the mentality there's that trauma right what if i'm gonna have to use it what if there's not gonna be enough that was a very vivid memory that came to me and i think you should expand your services (laughs) internationally because yeah yeah and probably to places like that Mm -hmm. that historically have suffered from some regimes where there's big scarcity because i can assure you that there's a need yeah absolutely i mean i'd love to be able to travel internationally and help people wherever they are and i think you're right it's this combination of this fear-based mentality of like you know i'm not going to have this when i need it combined with the consumerism that we have today and i think in general clutter is a new problem like if we think back to my grandparents or even great-grandparents my grandma would have had like five dresses i mean there's exceptions to that but back then there just wasn't this like mass market really out there and so people had what they needed and then that was fine but it's really a 20th century phenomenon that we're in today and that's clashing with the people who didn't have enough before who need to hang on to these things. And it's really causing a problem for everyone. So I just feel really strongly that when you have a really clear space and you don't have clutter and you're very organized, you're just so much more calm, you're so much more productive, and it's a freedom in that, right? And so that's what I really wanna help people with is just getting to that place. And a lot of people just don't know how to do it or they don't have time to do it. And so I just really believe strongly that it's kind of like a base mental health thing that I can help people with. Mm. Yes, I was gonna ask you, what effect does living in an unorganized space have on people that they might not think about? I mean, the obvious things that I perceive and I feel on myself as well is if there's stuff around and there's disorganized clumps of mixes of things, I know, like I feel and I know that it weighs on me because even in my peripheral vision, if I see that there's something that shouldn't be there, it already occupies some of my conscious mind as well. But what other things happen that we might not even realize? Yeah, I think there's so many layers to it. So probably the first layer is what you just described, right? Like you open your computer, you have so many tabs open, you have so many emails in your inbox, like files are everywhere. It's just stressful. It's There's anxiety, you can't find what you need, you don't know where to start, and it's just very distracting. So that's kind of like the top level. Now, I think once you get into like decluttering the sort of like more deeper items, like even sentimental items. If you're doing your closet, right? So you're choosing like, what do I wear now? What am I gonna wear tomorrow? You kind of are choosing like, who you are. Are you that person that wore this thing five, 10 years ago? Like probably not, like you've evolved, right? And so really intentionally choosing what's around you is a way to define who you are now. It's a lot about living in the present. 
for example, you mentioned people who can be like afraid of not having this thing when they need it. So they hang on to like 50 copies of it or whatever it is. That's living in the future because you're afraid that in the future, you're not going to have this thing. That's not coming back to the present where like, you don't need this thing now. Can you trust yourself to procure that thing when you need it? And similarly, there's people who live in the past and they hang on to so much memorabilia. I'm not saying throw everything out, but definitely you can really choose what's most special to you. But there are people who hang on to everything they need to immortalize every memory because they really are living in the past and they might have unfinished business with things in their past. So I think this process of decluttering and organizing is really about coming to who you are today and now and what are the things you need around you right now to do the things that you do. And having faith that you will be able to have and provide for yourself in the future and get whatever you want. Exactly. Yeah. Not coming from a place of fear. Mm -hmm. Could you share some tips or a system that people could use to organize and declutter their space? I think it's really bespoke. So you wouldn't give everyone the same diet and exercise plan. It really depends on the person, their lifestyle, what they have, how they live. And so that's what I really like about my job is when I go in and meet people, I really need to understand that at a very personal level. And it's also very anthropological, right? Like how people live. So really there's a sequence that you should go about doing things. And the first one is decluttering. A lot of people, and I used to do this as well before I like learned more about it, but they launch straight into the organizing, you know, like just put things over here that are grouped together and there and buy the nice storage boxes. And really what you need to do first is decide what you're going to keep and what you're going to throw away. So that has to happen first. Then you can move on to the organizing. And I'm a big believer in functionality. I can make things look really nice, like on Instagram. doesn't mean they're going to stay that way. So I really think that it's more about like how you live your life and function first. But then after you've done those two steps, you need to develop some systems and habits for yourself because otherwise like I said you're gonna end up in the back to square one in a year so you need to kind of develop things that work for you strategies that work for you whether it's like on a weekly basis or a daily basis going around and putting things back to where they belong or doing like a yearly spring cleaning right because you change every year you change and you need different things and you don't need these things anymore so it's really about coming up with those systems and habits as like the third step I would say that's uh, very useful and I hope that people that are listening can test it out mm -hmm. for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I think the missing piece for a lot of people might be that last one, consciously instilling those habits of maintaining whatever work you have put in to declutter and then systemize, mm -hmm. then making it a habit of, okay, every month or every quarter, I'm going to do this and this and this to actually maintain that. Yeah, and I think a lot of what I do is coaching. I think that it's don't be afraid to ask for help because I find it hard to do my own stuff sometimes. Like I call my sister over to do my closet because it's really much nicer to have a sounding board to talk things through. You don't realize your attachment to things. So I would also add, don't start with the hardest stuff. Don't dive deep into the sentimental family heirlooms. Like just, yeah. just you can start with the simpler things first. Can you illustrate an example or an experience that you've had with somebody where this decluttering and organization process really changed their life? Yeah, absolutely. Everyone who I've worked with, it's life-changing, mm -hmm. which is really why I connect to doing it because it makes such a difference. But I will say one thing that stands out is I decluttered my grandmother's apartment which was a really fun experience because I got to know her so much more in the process, right? She would tell me stories about everything and the things I thought she cared about, she didn't. And then the things that I didn't realize were so important were. So it was such a really neat experience to do that. But I think decluttering is really deep, really magical. And once you go through that, it really illuminates a lot of other things. So what happened with my grandmother was we did her whole apartment and actually she needed a new carer. 
And maybe some of my family would say that that was a coincidence, but I think they're really connected. I think that by going through your stuff, by dealing with your stuff, it's really metaphorical. And it's not just about your stuff. You can declutter people from your lives. You can declutter thoughts from your life, right? It's, it can go really deep. And so with her, that process made us realize that that care was also no longer for her. And she had been saying this to us, but we always thought, oh, it's so hard. Like we didn't have the courage to really go through with it and find a new carer for her. But I think it was a very connected event that we realized she needed a new carer. And then she loves her new carer now. Like everything has just really improved for her since then. And I think it's just that realization of confronting what's going on in your life. And a lot of that can be done by looking at what's around you. Yes, it's therapeutic, it's insightful, it's productivity boosting. There's so many benefits to that. Has your journey of coming onto this path of this mission of helping people declutter and organize, has that something to do with Marie Kondo? Because I've read that book Mm. and I immediately thought about it. Tell me, is, is that connected somehow? Absolutely. I think, you know, she's amazing. And I discovered her book a little bit before she became like really mainstream. It was back in like, I don't know, 2012 or something. And I remember reading that book and just thinking like, wow, this has explained everything I've ever thought before, you know? And she really does give you like, you need to go category by category. And she gives you a lot of really helpful tips. So 100% that made me realize like, this is a thing, this thing that I care about so much, you know, someone's written a book about it, right? And then she- I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. Yeah, because I don't really know a lot of people in my personal life who feel that way. So it was really magical to connect with her book in that way. And then more recently, you know, so I had read her book and I thought like, oh, wow, like this is my hobbies, something I really love. But more recently, I've kind of, you know, obviously I opened a business in it. So I realized that you can do this for a living and that's what she does. So she definitely has paved the way. And there's a lot of other more mainstream famous professional organizers out there. And, and that's been really helpful as like a model to be like, this can be like a viable business. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, the power of having an example. Yes. Otherwise, maybe you might be thinking, oh, this is so niche. I'm not sure if Mm. this passion can be developed into a business, but there it is. You know, there's there's examples. That's so powerful. Definitely. The niche areas are where you want to be, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) You feel passionate about preserving the environment, correct? Mm -hmm. And you've started composting initiatives Mm -hmm. in every place you lived, becoming a compost community leader. What does urban composting look like? And how did you become passionate about it. I think it's connected to my professional organizing because when you know what your inventory is, when you realize you already have like 10 jackets, you're not gonna buy another one so easily. So I think a lot of it is connected in in the way that I think about helping the environment. And so with composting in particular, what happened was I was living in Australia and I had these neighbors who were so lovely and I'm still friends with them and they're just amazing people. I think they saw me taking out the trash one day and they kind of came up to me and they were like, hey, like, did you know you can actually like compost your food waste? And I thought they were crazy. (laughs) I was just like, what now? You want me to like separate my food? It was so such a like new idea. Like I had always recycled, but I just, I didn't know about that one, right? Composting. So they explained it to me, they showed me how to do it. And very quickly I became a complete convert. I was like, this is so brilliant because, you know, they explained to me that when you put your food in the trash, it goes to the landfill and people think that it decomposes, but it actually doesn't because it's hidden by all the other trash. So it just creates like gases that are really bad for the environment. And I saw a documentary one time where they drilled into a landfill with one of those core kind of drills and they found like 
completely ripe avocado in there because it's so buried that it doesn't have a chance to decompose. So it just sits in the landfill. I always thought my food was decomposing naturally. No, it's not. It's really bad for food to go to the landfill. So when you compost it, it goes to like a very specific place where it's turned into like really great soil, really great fertilizer, which can then be used to like do more great things with the environment and plant new things. So it's honestly one of the best things you can ever do. And it's so easy. It's literally just like you put your food waste into the compost bag. And then some places they have like a little bucket and you can bring that outside just with the rest of your trash and recycling. It depends on your council. What I do is I put it in the freezer. So I don't really like to have it out on the counter. It's like just a, it's like a clip lock. So you don't really smell it. But I just prefer to put it in the freezer. And then it goes straight from the freezer to the bin outside on collection day. So easy. Depends which council you're in. If you don't have it in your area, usually farmer's markets take it. They love it because, again, it's such good fertilizer. So, yeah, there's just so many options. It's so easy. And my favorite thing about it is that my trash no longer smells. Like, I'll go to other people's houses and I'll, like, go to throw something away. And you just get this, like, Whiff. waft. Yeah. Of, like, this <laughs> trash smell. And that doesn't happen to me anymore and i love that because it does there's no food like getting gross in there i guess that would also make you a bit more mindful in how much food you actually buy and consume and throw oh, yes. out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so there's an added benefit to that as well definitely yeah you feel really much more connected to what you're doing mm -hmm. so what other small things can we all start doing for the environment today to positively impact it. Yeah, well, I would say figure out your composting situation. If your building doesn't have it, ask for it. Um, figure it out with your council as well. The other thing I care a lot about is fast fashion, like how bad that is for the environment. So if you're gonna buy something, try to see if you can buy something that's better quality for like a little bit more, but you'll have it for longer right? So maybe you can ask yourself, will I wear this 10 times? The answer is no. Then like, do you really need it? Like maybe it's not best to spend your money there. And you know, there's the usual stuff like turning off electricity and what have you, but it's just being more mindful about your consumption habits, I think. Mm -hmm. The fast fashion point is a really good one, but I just wonder these days, is it a matter of cost for a lot of people of just going that route without even, you know, looking for alternatives? Yeah, I think it is kind of like thinking in the short term, like, okay, this is less money, so this is a better idea. But in the long term, like if you bought something a tiny bit more expensive, but you had it for longer, maybe it's like a little bit more of a classical style, then that's actually better for you too and better for the environment. And also, if you haven't decluttered and organized, maybe you didn't realize you already have a jacket just like that <laughs> or a pair of pants that fits you great that you just haven't tried on in a while. So, yeah. Shop your own closet first. I will need to go through my closet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to help with For that. For sure. Okay, <laughs> guys, this is like after the podcast, we're opening the closets. So currently you work at CEPI, which is the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, mm -hmm. a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and you're leading various projects, including pandemic preparedness response. Mm -hmm. Obviously, freshly out <laughs> of a pandemic. My question to you is, could you share with us what does a future pandemic response plan look like and how are we going to respond in case a new pandemic hits us mm, yeah great question so we're funded by the bill and melinda gates foundation and a number of other organizations and governments just to clarify but yeah SEPI is trying to answer this question you know we were founded in 2017 because it was just realized that we needed really an international intergovernmental coalition to help solve future epidemics and pandemics so what SEPI does is they accelerate vaccine development to help with emerging infectious diseases. And it really is, I think there's such a focus on the coordination aspect, the coalition aspect. It can't be done by one single entity alone. It's a group project. 
<laughs> so there's lots of different governments that need to come together, lots of different civil society organizations, philanthropic organizations. It's really a joint effort to be prepared for the next pandemic. Will we be? Though? <laughs> Are we there? Are we close? I think we've learned so much from COVID-19. I think that was really helpful and we've taken away so many things for the next pandemic, which could happen at any moment. There are epidemics right now happening all around the world. So I think for the next pandemic, something to really look more into is uh, equitable access. So it's making sure that vaccines and other medical countermeasures are available to all countries, low and middle income countries, not just high income countries. And that's something that CEPI really prioritizes as well. So with all these different experiences that you've done, mm. all these different countries that you lived in, what three strong, impactful life lessons have you taken away that really stuck with you? Okay, I'm going to try to go back to our conversation and see if I can summarize. Well, I think the first one that jumps out at me is like community, like really building your community around you, whatever that looks like. But I think that's been really important. And that was a lesson I learned a little bit the hard way, right? When I found myself a little bit alone. But now that I've come to London, I've really tried to emphasize that and finding like your people, right? Who do you want to be with all the time? And so building community. And I think that would be the first one for sure. I think the second one is also what we talked about, like the process mindset and just really enjoying the journey, not the outcome. Yeah, just sort of enjoying the ride, really. And I would say the last one is related, but it's around not delaying your happiness until you achieve something. Mm. Right? So it's kind of like, I'll be happy when I win that thing or when I get this promotion or when I meet my forever partner. Is that your recipe for happiness? <laughs> I think so. I, yeah, I really think it's just learning that you can just be happy now yeah. while you're striving for whatever it is you're striving for. Yeah, you don't have to delay no, you happiness. don't. Yeah. And it doesn't depend on other people. It doesn't depend on other people giving you things or helping you to do stuff. It's really just so within your power. And that's like a daily thing I remind myself, right? It's like a constant, <laughs> always working on that one. But I think it is just about, you don't have to delay your happiness. You can be happy right now. That's so empowering because that literally means, as you said, it's not dependent on anyone else. It's not circumstantial. It's up to you and it's readily available there mm -hmm. every single day. So is it like a switch that you'd flip or is it like a mindset that you need to tune into the right frequency or how would you describe it for you yeah i think it's both of those things honestly i think it's helpful to reframe things so if i feel like something's not going my way and i'm unhappy about something then i'll just refocus back to like well what can i be happy about what can i be really grateful for how can i look at this a little differently and that's not to say that you can't be upset about things right like i think it's so important to feel your feelings to process them and to accept them and it's okay to be really sad sometimes you need that I actually think like someone helped me to understand that 50% of your life is actually uncomfortable emotions, which is insane. I never realized that like 50% of your day, you're going to feel either sad or angry or like any of these things. And it's okay. Yeah, it's totally normal. Like really, you should just accept that. That's part of life. Feeling that way is just part of life. But that doesn't mean that you can't be grateful for what you have and like try to reframe as much as possible when you're still in the thought part of it. So there's thoughts and then those thoughts lead to your emotions and then those emotions lead to your behaviors and actions. That's kind of like a model I was taught. So if you're still in the thought stage, you can reframe. 
you can say like, how can I look at this differently? How can I be grateful for what I have? How can I look at this differently? But once you're in the emotion stage, once you've progressed from the thought to emotion stage, you shouldn't really like push that away. You shouldn't really push that down. If you're already upset, just let it happen. Just really feel that emotion and it will resolve more quickly than if you just go, oh no, I'm feeling sad. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should be happy. I should be grateful for everything I have. It's like at that point, it's too late. You should just let it, let your body experience the emotion. But if you are still in the thought stage, then yeah, I would try to reframe as much as possible. Like, what can you be happy for? Yes. Basically taking a different perspective on the same surroundings yes. and same facts, if you will. Exactly. Uh, one of my guests from the podcast, uh, Sam, he's an ex-psychiatric ward, and he shared this very valuable insight, which I'm keeping as a treasure, mm. which is... Thoughts are visitors that we treat as permanent residents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really, really bad because mm-hmm. emotions are meant to be felt. They're meant to be expressed in the moment when they come. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we don't and we bottle them in and we press them, suppress them, then troubles come to the extent of physical illnesses later on. Yeah, definitely. Complications. Mm-hmm. They build up. Yeah, it's we really, don't want that. It's not good for us. We but want to treat emotions as the fleeting visitors that they are. Yeah, and just welcome it, you know, and just feel what it's like in your body to feel really upset about something and just, it's okay and it will go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also mentioned this, and I think it's so true that we wouldn't understand what a good emotion is if we didn't have the bad emotions. And even yeah. I say this because I don't think they're good or bad emotions. Exactly. Yeah. They're just mm-hmm. a spectrum of emotions. Exactly. And they're equal in a way because they're all useful and they're all necessary to ultimately experience life. Yes. They're teaching you things. If you're sad about something that you're trying to teach yourself a lesson, there's something in there to like look at. And like you said, you wouldn't enjoy all the times that you're really happy if you didn't have those other the moments. It's, we're human. We're supposed to feel all the things. Mm-hmm. And on this beautiful note, <laughs> Isabel, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much, Thank you Dana. so much for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Hello, friends. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and share it with someone. I would love to hear your feedback and suggestions as to what guests you would like to see on the show next. <laughs>